Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, where we bring you all the news, views and analysis of what's happening in the global game. I'm Ian McGarry and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by our regular guru, uh, Mr Duncan Castles, but due to the unforeseen circumstance, it'll just be the dulcet tones of the two of us you'll be hearing from today. Welcome, Duncan. Oh, Indeed. So, uh, where else to start um, than the fallout from Super Size Sunday? And what was not only a bitter defeat for Chelsea, but what appeared to be open mutiny, mutiny when keeper Kepa Ariza Balaga refused to be substituted. Duncan, I suppose we've got to ask, where does this leave the coach? I mean, is it Sari, Diver- Sari Viderci or just Chai for now? <laughs> I think um, I think Sari was pretty much on his way out of the club before um, this game. Um, certainly Chelsea had been preparing to change coach um, pretty much I think a decision had been made that they needed a new coach for next season and the question mark was um, who do you bring in for the rest of this campaign um, I know that uh, Gianfranco Zola had been approached by the club um, to discuss uh, taking over from uh, Sari as an interim coach for the rest of the season um, I think uh, Steve Holland is also an option um, in that regard. Uh, obviously, there's complications there because he's England's assistant manager, so they'd need permission from the Football Association to uh, to take him on uh, for the rest of the season. Um, but Holland is someone who was very well regarded um, within the Chelsea hierarchy, served as assistant manager under a number of coaches, has actually been interim manager briefly in the past. Um, and, and I think he was a very competent coach. I know um, uh, a number of the of the assistants that Chelsea have kept on as managers have changed have uh, have not had the trust of the overall managers um, or some of the players. Um, Thibaut Courtois and the goalkeeping coach Christophe Lolichon being a very pertinent example of that. Uh, Courtois had Lolichon removed removed from duties as a condition of staying at the club um, in Conte's first season, but Holland isn't in that camp. He did a good job under 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 uh, previous managers, was trusted by them, and I think would be a sound appointment um, to replace Sari. I think what happened with Kepa um, incredible, really. I mean, it, um, I've been covering football professionally for almost twenty years, and I've never seen anything like it. Really, never seen anything like it. And I think the response of um, Pretty much everyone in the game has been exactly the same. Uh, you know, the, the manager makes the decisions on substitutions. When you see your number comes up, you come off the pitch. But uh, Kepa refused to do that. And I think um, Sari's reaction w- was telling there. Um, you know, he visibly displayed his anger, um, disappeared. Well, he almost, he the... Yeah, he almost walked up the tunnel, didn't he? The Wembley Tunnel. Well, he did. He went halfway down the tunnel. It's a point yeah. at which people were wondering if he'd uh, if he'd been sent off by the the referee for um, for swearing at him over Kepa not coming off the pitch. It was completely bizarre. But I think uh, uh, it's fair to say a reflection of where he is at the club at present. That he, you know, it's no secret that the players, a large number of players, have lost trust in his methods. Um, they don't enjoy his training. They don't believe tactically he's done a good job. 
Um, he has repeatedly in, in public criticised his players um, in terms of their application, uh, their determination, their aggression on the pitch. He's refused to accept that his tactics have been at fault for um, the uh, steep decline in Chelsea's performances and results. And it, you know, if you do that with any group of players, you're going to have problems. But if you do it at Chelsea, which is we've said in this podcast many times, is a club where the players know and they have a history of seeing managers um, being dismissed by the board, uh, particularly after there've been issues between um, players and coach. So. Um, he's put, placed himself in a dangerous position, and, and I think what he got on on Sunday was was uh, part of the dividend from the position he's placed himself in. Like you, Duncan, I've not seen anything like it in my career covering football or working in football. Um, the closest I can recall would be when Carlos Tevez refused to come onto the pitch uh, mm. when playing for Manchester City against Bayern Munich. Um, but. Yeah, that's maybe maybe a sort of comparable issue, but not quite the same as refusing to come off. Um, I think the problem that I, 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 that's a good that's a good point about Tevez. I'd forgotten about that, and it is it's comparable, but it's not quite as um, as big an interruption into the game as what Kepa did, because obviously um, Tevez wasn't on the field of no. play and and didn't stop the action from going on, which is what Kepa did. I mean the. It took about three minutes, I think, for that yeah. for that to play out. It was right at the end of a game where Manchester City were pushing for, for a late winner to avoid penalties. Yeah. I think it's interesting um, what you say about Steve Holland. I would agree with you on that. And uh, having you know covered Chelsea as a club for a long time, um, Holland is, does have the respect of, of staff and, and uh, everyone there, including some of the key players who are now uh, those who are agitating about Sarri's methods, etc., I suppose um, one of the things that Holland or anyone else for that matter uh, would have to ask themselves is, do I want to go to Chelsea into that chaos, into that frying pan of dressing room unrest, et cetera, et cetera, um, and take that job? Or, uh, because effectively, it could, for someone like Holland, who's never been number one, it could effectively destroy your career very, very soon after it, um, it has started as a, as, a, as a head coach, if you like. And I think that same would apply to Frank Lampard, who's also been mentioned um, in uh, the last week or so with regards to replacing Sarri. But, um, you know, I'm sure the pull for Lampard and for Holland, for that matter, having been at the club for so many years, is great. But at the same time, <clears throat> is it a stage in their coaching careers where they'd be putting everything on the table, everything at stake, only to find that the club is, in fact, unmanageable? Um, and therefore, you know, they would do their careers more harm than good. I mean, where, where do you think Chelsea could look, Duncan, for, for a replacement? I don't know if Steve Holland sees himself as a full-time manager in the future. He's been assistant for a long time, so I don't know if he has the ambition to um, become uh, the, the man who makes the ultimate decisions. If he does, then the temptation to work at Chelsea, I think, would be great because he knows the club. He has a lot of um, supporters internally within the club. The head of academy, for example, Neil Bath, uh, is, a, is a big fan of Steve Holland and, and um, it's noticeable the number of Chelsea academy players who've been promoted to the England team since Holland came in alongside uh, Gareth Southgate. Um, at the England camp, which has obviously done Neil Bath a lot of favours. Um, 
I think with Frank Lampard, again, I suspect the temptation of that job um, because it's Chelsea, it's the club he made his career at. Um, the Obviously, have the buy-in from the fans. Um, he's got an assistant uh, who knows the club inside out, Jody Morris. So uh, it takes a lot of boxes, but you do have to say that, you know, we know Frank Lampard wants to be um, a top-level coach. We know in the future he wants to be Chelsea manager if he can be. But the risk involved in taking over that club at the moment, um, I don't think it's so much about this season. I think um, I think whoever comes in will see uh, will get a rapid turnaround from the players. We've seen it in the past at Chelsea. Um, you kind of saw it on Sunday in that uh, they. Finally, they played a pragmatic style um, uh, and changed their tactics to take on an opponent who was clearly better than them. And, and they gave themselves a chance of winning the game. You know, they, they resorted to a system that's worked well for Chelsea for years and they implemented it pretty well and they could have come out of that match with a win. And, um, and I think a new manager coming in would, would be able to get better out of those players for the remainder of the season. I think the big risk is where the club is in general which is Roman Abramovich trying to sell it, um, disinterested in the day-to-day running of the club, not investing as much in the the team as he had in the past, dumping his stadium plans. Um, They've just got a two-window transfer ban from FIFA, um, albeit they they should be able to get postponement on that by by appealing the ban and being allowed to buy in the summer. But you have to say that it's it's not the position it was even two years ago. It's certainly not the position it was five, ten years ago. And and I think this is the big issue for Chelsea is can they attract a top-tier manager um, anymore? I mean, I've, he- I've heard Zidane's name pushed very heavily for the job. I, I doubt seriously that Zidane would, would take this job um, ahead of, for example, Manchester United he's been linked to, which I think he's also sceptical about, and certainly ahead of Juventus. Um, which I think he's hoping will will open up should Allegri leave at the end of the season. And I don't think he's the only one um, of that tier of coach that Chelsea in the past would have thought, yes, we can we can hire them, we can give them the money, we can uh, sell them a project that they'll want to buy into. I, I, I think there are plenty of other um, coaches on that level who will be saying, you know, Chelsea, it's not the club it used to be, uh, and I go there and I put my reputation at risk. Another man with close links to, to Chelsea is Brendan Rodgers, who's a man in demand, it seems, if you listen to the bookmakers, uh, regarding replacing Claude Puel, who was sacked by Leicester uh, last weekend. Um, I, could see, I could see Brendan taking the job at Chelsea, certainly, Duncan. Obviously, he, has, um, he was academy head there for a long time. He worked under Jose Mourinho when he first came in 2004. Um, we know that Brendan, having managed Liverpool and almost to a league title, uh, famously, um, he, he has the credentials to, you know, to, to be a credible candidate for Chelsea. And also, you'd have to say, someone um, who also wants to get back into you know, elite coaching. Um, no disrespect to Celtic in terms of um, where they are. But obviously, uh, coaching in the top four in England is something entirely different. Um, do you think? Do you think he would postpone any thoughts about taking the Leicester job just in case Chelsea was to come up? 
Look, Brendan Rogers is a man who's got um, no shortage of self-regard, um, ambition, and belief in himself. Um, understand the, the, the job he would he really feels he would like to have or, or has in the past felt that he'd like to have in the game is the Manchester United job, um, which gives you a sense of, of how, he, how he regards himself as a coach. Um, I understand that he would have reservations about Leicester City for similar reasons. And I think he, he believes he can get back to a higher level in, in the English game. Um, there's certainly problems with him and and the uh, the directorship of Celtic. Um, uh, quite a lot of conflict over recruitment and, and where the club goes. I'm not sure he'd want to leave at this stage. I think um, it would be neater for him to exit at the end of the season, having won another Scottish Premier League title, rather than being seen to, to do a runner um, when he's under pressure from Rangers and Kilmarnock and teams that weren't expected to, to challenge for the, the title there. Um, his history is uh, of having worked under Abramovich and, and being uh, popular uh, with the hierarchy at the club as a, a reserve team coach. I mean, ironically, he was brought into Chelsea by Steve Clark in the first place. Um, a coach who who he had uh, had removed as uh, as the assistant at Liverpool when he when he was uh, appointed for that job, and I think in some ways he might actually be a reasonable fit for for Chelsea at the moment because if they can't get that top tier um, manager that we've we've been talking about, then Rogers comes with a, an impressive enough CV, um, the experience of managing. Liverpool and, and getting them as close to the, the, the Premier League title as anyone has in recent years. The experience of managing Celtic, which is, albeit you're not at the same level, he, he, he's, he's, um, he's run up a lot of Champions League games with, with a reasonable amount of credit and he's working in extremely high pressure environment. So they all tick boxes. He's known by the, the as I say, by the Chelsea hierarchy and, and I think he would take the job. So He's maybe not a bad shout, although I'm not, from what I hear, he hasn't been sounded out at this stage um, by Chelsea for the position. I think um, with Brendan Rodgers being a Celtic fan, self-confessed, etc., and the job he's done so far, um, I think he's found himself a bit of, you know, between a rock and a hard place on this one, Duncan. Um, His choices are fairly stark. You know, one is to pursue you know the, that ambition that you spoke of to return to um, the very top level uh, in England but there's also the whole ten in a row legendary status which would have to, he would need to stay for another two seasons if that were to happen or sorry if to give himself the opportunity to you know record that legendary status at a club that he supported as a boy etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but I would agree with you I think if it was Chelsea, um, then Brendan would certainly take it. I, I'm not so sure about Leicester City, um, and I don't know where the bookies are getting their information. I think they're just looking around for someone that Leicester might be able to get quickly and relatively cheaply, uh, and Rogers ticks all the boxes. Um, I was more intrigued, actually, by Neil Lennon uh, as, as, a, as a potential uh, next coach of Leicester City, given his status, uh, legendary status, indeed, at Leicester City as a player. Uh, and a guy who did a very good job at Celtic and uh, and at Hibs as well. So um, 
we'll watch and we'll I, bring I, you, of course. Sorry, go on, Duncan. I, I think it. I think it's correct that Leicester are interested in in um, Brendan Rodgers, and and um, it is a it's a, a question he will be asked, and he'll have to make a decision on in in the coming days. Um, if we're talking about candidates from Scotland for Chelsea. I actually think the better candidate there is um, is the man who's been running Brendan Rodgers close to the title this season, and a man with a, with a much longer history at Chelsea and and more success, and that's Steve Clark. And you know you have to remember Steve Clark basically was the real coach when Chelsea uh, reached the Champions League final um, under Avram Grant, because although Avram Grant was put in charge by Abramovich. The, the players were so bemused by um, the lack of quality of his training in his early sessions that Grant himself realised he, he, he couldn't carry on doing the training and, and handed it over to Steve Clark, who um, carried on the methodology uh, that uh, Jose Mourinho and Ray Faria and co had been using up until that point. Um, they basically played the same system. Um, and, you know, that those that uh, accumulation of knowledge and implementation from Clark brought them to Champions League final. Clark then went to Liverpool, was hired by Kenny Dalglish to do pretty much the same job, which is do the day-to-day running of the team. Um, and and therefore is the last um, part of the last management team to actually win silverware at Liverpool. So um, his candidacy... I, you know, the problem with Steve Clark, obviously, is he's not um, not a gla- wouldn't be a glamour appointment. Um, he's quite a dour, he's a very dour character, and doesn't. Uh, I don't think particularly enjoys press conferences. Although, as as we saw last week, is prepared to say important things in press conferences and take flack in press conferences, which is which can't be a bad trait. Um, but uh, if you're looking at someone with Chelsea credentials and uh, coaching skills at the very top level. And you can't get an elite um, manager uh, for next season. Then I think Chelsea could do a lot worse than look at Steve Clark. Steve Clark for Chelsea—that's an intriguing one indeed. Um, moving away from uh, Chelsea and their uh, Travis and indeed uh, Leicester City's vacancy. Um, of a strange old game at Old Trafford yesterday, Duncan, where Liverpool and Manchester United played out a zero-zero draw. Um, both teams seem to be uh, very disjointed. Um, Liverpool's attack malfunctioned, and there was a strange, almost freakish uh, um, situation with with Man United, where they they effectively lost. Well, four players got injured in the first half. I mean, from all my experience in football, Duncan, I, I've seen you know soft tissue injuries, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, happen as a result of players. Um, Training too hard, overtraining effectively, um, and I just wondered, you know, would you think that might be the possible uh, sort of answer to that particular conundrum yesterday? Do you think that may be the case? I don't think there's any doubt that there's something wrong with the preparation of the players when you lose um, lose Nemanja Matic in the training session before the game to muscular injury. You lose um, Ander Herrera in the first half. One matter in the first half, and then you have Jesse Lingard coming off the bench, and basically the first time he he uh, sprints 
in anger to try and, and score a goal, he has to go off too. Um, you know, you've got you've definitely got a problem with the decision making that allowed Lingard to be on the bench for that game. Clearly, wasn't ready, shouldn't have been playing. Um, and you you do have a you seem to have a serious problem with uh, muscular injuries to get four in such such a short space of time. Um, and I don't think it's it's a coincidence because if you remember when Solskjaer came in, one of the things he said in his first press conference was that a, a Manchester United team should never be outrun by the opposition, which is you know, a great thing to say, went down very well with the press, went down very well with the fans. Um, it's an easy thing to say. It's also an easy thing to tell players that they need to run more and in these, in these days where um, everything is is recorded. Um, they have uh, a GPS or um, distance covered data for each individual player. So they come off the pitch and they can and you can tell them you this is how many kilometers you covered today. This is how many high intensity sprints you did today. You met your target or you didn't meet your target. So you can get them to run more. Um, you can train them more and understand that they have introduced some double training sessions um, since Solskjaer came in. But you will pay a cost eventually if you overload players. And remember, Solskjaer has rotated very little in his, his time at the club. He's essentially stayed to the same 11 almost whenever he can. Changed a lot of players for the first FA Cup tie, and that's about it. But if you do this, you will pay a cost because you cannot overload players in modern uh, Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup football without starting to get soft tissue injuries. Um, and you know, I talked to some people in, in the game after the match and they basically said it's not a surprise that this happened. Um, and uh, I mean, the flip side of this, and more important in terms of the destination of the, the Premier League, is that Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, were basically handed that game on a plate you know, it was obviously a game they were worried about um, for multiple uh, good reasons. But to have a team um, down to using all their substitutes before half time with their striker, Marcus Rashford, remember, um, almost coming off the pitch because um, Jordan Henderson took him out with a, a very nasty tackle from behind early on in the game. So basically playing against 10 and a half men um, for the whole of the second half. And to, uh, to not exploit that, to play, continue playing conservatively and, and quite negatively. I mean, looking at the statistics after the game, um, Liverpool had just three shots in the entirety of that second half and, and De Gea didn't have a save to make. And that's for me, is OK, Liverpool have been struggling for form recently. They've not been playing as well as, as the results have shown. It was a difficult match for them, but... If you want to win the title, and you want to win the title against a Manchester City who have been essentially relentless in, in the Premier League for a season and a half now, you can't afford to play for a draw um, and hope to nick a goal on the break against weakened opposition um, in a game like that. So what you're saying is what Klopp needed was 10 Klopp ducks and he got 10 Klopp flops. <laughs> They did his marine commanders out there, people. You know what we're talking about. I was surprised, Duncan, by the amount of unforced errors in the match on both sides. Um, misplaced passes, um, 
passes going out of play as well, like just simply going out for throwing, etc., not even hitting a man, uh, possession given away, space not being marked. The famous gig in prison just didn't appear at any point. Um, they weren't putting the forwards weren't putting Manchester United's defence uh, under any pressure, which I'd thought before the game would be the obvious thing to do, given that Lindelof and Smalling both have mistakes in them uh, in any ninety-four minutes uh, of, of any game, and. It's, it was almost it was timid. I thought it was timid from Liverpool in a way that um, we've not seen so far this season. And as you said, Manchester United uh, via injuries, etc., should really have been there for the taking. And of course, the consequences of a win uh, instead of the draw would have been, you know, that that lead on Manchester City. Um, and you know, it was uh, our old friend Rafi Honigstein who says maybe that this season is now or never for Klopp and the title. And performances like that suggest it's going to be never. Look, uh, they didn't play well. Um, simple as that. And uh, and they haven't been playing well for a while. And I think, I think Klopp, his problem here is that he's got to this position in the league by playing far more conservatively than than they did last season. He's he's got a better goalkeeper. He's got a much better centre back in Van Dijk. He's had a better centre-back in Joe Gomez for half the season. And the first half of the season, although they won the majority of their matches, it was built more on strong defence than it was on the, the, the gegenpressing, um, aggressive attacking that got them to the Champions League final last season. There was, you know, there'd been a marked change in the way they played. He, he's automated that pretty defensive 4-3-3 with a 4-2-3-1 um, with Shakiri in, which has been more aggressive, but he's actually been quite scared to implement that in the big game. So if you look at um, the Manchester City game where they lost, he didn't bring Shakiri on until very late in the game, even though um, he, he needed to chase it. Um, he brought Shakiri on yesterday, but again, it was well into the second half before he came on the pitch. And, and there's, I think he's he appears to be caught in this conundrum of uh, the defensive or the relatively defensive football has worked for me in the Premier League this season, so I want to stick to it. And I, I just, you can't outrule out the possibility that City will, will drop points. I mean, they've, they've got a couple of serious injuries from the League Cup final in Fernandinho and, and Laporte uh, yesterday. So it could be that they'll slip up and, and make the target lower for Liverpool. But honestly, if Klopp sticks to playing the football he has been playing, um, I don't see them taking the title. Um, I just don't think they'll get enough points. I think they need to win just about every game going in uh, to to really pressure City. Um, and I don't see that at the moment. And, and I think Klopp is doing himself a lot of damage as well with his, um, with his statements after the game. I mean, it's quite unbelievable... Uh, press conference he gave at Old Trafford in which he blamed Manchester United's injury crisis for Liverpool's lack of rhythm and, and said that it would have been easier for Liverpool to beat Manchester United if, if they hadn't had uh, their players coming off the pitch and they hadn't been forced to, to change the way they, they play in an unexpected fashion. It's, you know... Really, uh, when you're when you're blaming referees uh, when they give you offside goals, when you're blaming snow in the pitch, 
uh, dry grass, long grass, wind. Leaves <laughs> on the line. You can't, you can't blame the, the oppositions having three injuries before half-time um, for not winning a match. It's, uh... I thought rivalling um, <clears throat> for bizarre substitutions in terms of Jesse Lingard on the United side, where did Daniel Sturridge come from? Because <laughs> he didn't look to me like he's been on planet football for very long, given the way he played yesterday. Um, he just didn't, didn't click at all, did he? And when you've got Shakiri on the bench given that Firmino normally plays behind Salah and Mane anyway. It just seemed like a very odd substitution to make in such a big game. I don't, I don't think Sturridge can play that, um, you know, that half-nine role that Firmino plays at anything like the same level. I don't think he's got the, the aggression about him. I don't think he's got the tactical intelligence to do it. And Firmino is exceptional in that role and, and very important to Liverpool. And um, they will be hoping that that ankle injury he caused himself um, isn't a serious one because Salah is way off form at present and he has, earlier in the season, he was a good answer for them through the middle. I, I thought Salah did really well playing in that in that nine role and I think he has, has been more dangerous as a striker playing at that nine role. But at the moment he... Um, He's a shadow of himself, you know, and that's two uh, trips to Old Trafford in which he's gone up against um, first Ashley Young and then Luke Shaw and managed um, two shots off target between the two games, which is kind of telling about his, his display on when it really matters um, for Liverpool in these really big games. And Sadio Mane has been carrying that attack for, for a while now and uh, even he was, was struggling on, on Sunday. Well, Liverpool did go one point ahead of City at the top of the Premier League as a result of the draw at Old Trafford. But of course, well, they were um, having their own troubles against uh, uh, an injury-stricken United team. Um, their title rivals, Manchester City, were busy winning the first trophy of the season at Wembley. Um, Albi went to penalty kicks to, to resolve it between Chelsea and Manchester City. fact of the matter is, that fabled quadruple that uh, no one at Manchester City wants to talk about, but everyone else wants to talk about, uh, remains very much on. Um, is this fantasy, Duncan? Is it, is it even possible? Well, according to Pep Guardiola, it's not possible. Um, after uh, their, their come from behind win at Schalke um, last week, he told the, the press that we're not good enough to win the Champions League. Now, you can interpret that several ways, obviously. Um, one is he wasn't happy with the way his players performed, which wasn't impressive against a, you know, a considerably inferior um, squad. And he, he wanted to, to give them a kick up the behind um, and get them on it for future games. The other, which I think there's definitely an element in this, given that at the end of last season in the first interview, um, big interview that Pep Guardiola gave after um, the title, uh, the season was finished and the title handed over to Manchester City, he made it clear that he wasn't targeting or prioritising the Champions League for next season and and wanted to say the hardest thing to do would be to retain the Premier League title. So at that stage, he wanted to shift away the expectation that's coming from Abu Dhabi that he provide them with the Champions League as a return on having the most expensive squad um, that football's ever seen. Um, and I, I, think, I think there's an awareness there um, from him 
that uh, he doesn't think the team is ready yet. Um, and I think there's also an element of, um, of self-doubt there because uh, since he left Barcelona, since he was separated from Lionel Messi, he's not been to a Champions League final. It's not just that he's not been to a Champions League final. He has, on a number of occasions, been beaten by significantly inferior squads. Um, so Manchester City, he's lost uh, to Monaco, got knocked out by Monaco, knocked out by Liverpool, and both times been knocked out um, in part because he made horrendous tactical decisions um, in, in away games. So I think that's the, the biggest hurdle for Manchester City. I think um, that I would have them favourites for the, for the Premier League now because of where Liverpool are. Although they have the company. Yeah, I'm going to say, Duncan, I think, I think we've got to take into account our, our trip to Old Trafford for Manchester City um, next month, which could also, like it did with Liverpool, uh, be where you'd, you'd expect perhaps to make drop points. Yeah, look, it's, it's not easy for them. Um, and they've played the League Cup. Uh, they're still in the FA Cup. They're still in the Champions League. Um, Liverpool are out of the FA Cup. They've been out of the League Cup for a long time. Uh, there's a possibility that they'll be out of the Champions League um, after uh, the away game at Bayern. So that gives Liverpool a, a huge physical advantage in terms of and, and mental advantage of being able to concentrate purely on the Premier League. But the form teams, the form team is clearly City. I mean, Liverpool haven't played a good game. I think, against anyone for the best part of two months now. They've got results, but they haven't been um, truly convincing against anyone for quite some time. So it's, something needs to turn around there. So I obviously City have the League Cup, um, and, and they showed a good deal of resilience to win that yesterday, um, given that Chelsea made it very hard for them uh, with, with their tactics and, and had the opportunities to, uh, to go a goal ahead, and, and that might well have been enough. Um, there are reasonable bets for the FA Cup. Uh, I think they'll win the Premier League, but I think the Champions League's the real test for, for the reasons I mentioned and, and Guardiola's um, issues at a tactical level when he comes up against uh, better squads, i.e. better than he faces in the Premier League, and smarter coaches. Interesting stuff, and obviously the title uh, will title competition will pan out very um, intriguingly in the next few weeks, and uh, we'll continue to bring you best news and analysis of that as we always do. Now it's time for our regular heroes and villains slots, where we choose one each from the last few days of football. Um, Duncan has intimated to me that he wants to be a, a villain today, which, you know, as I've said before, given his Dr. Evil lookalike, is no, no surprise. So um, who's your villain for this week then, Duncan? Um, it's, a, it's a tough one, but I'm, I'm between uh, Ander Herrera, Juan Mata or Jesse Lingard. Um, for the, the cruel and callous fashion in which they got themselves injured during the first half and, and complicated things so terribly for um, for you. <laughs> I was wondering how you're going to turn that one around. <laughs> um, but I, I think I'll have to choose um, Jesse Lingard because he, he, he really was uh, 
the the nastiest of them having you know the temerity to get him to rip his hamstring up after just 10 minutes on the pitch when when in position to score a goal so my villain of the week would be jesse lingard for the, the grave damage he inflicted upon uh, liverpool's title campaign well um i'm gonna choose this week's hero and um i'm gonna go back a couple more days than the weekend to say ryan sterling's goal where the edison assist beautiful 85-yard pass, which, Duncan, you actually flagged up that this was one of the reasons Pep Guardiola wanted Edison, wasn't it? Because he had something like 11 assists in a, in a season in Portugal. Is that correct? I, I don't think he had as many assists as that, but um, it was definitely one of the, the the reasons that he was top of the recruitment list for yeah. that second season at, at City was because of the quality of his passing. And, and he had uh, set up goals with... Uh, with being able to pass the whole length of the field. Well, the hero isn't going to be um, Ederson. He's he's a close second for the pass, but just for the the faint touch and then the strength that Sterling showed to just to shrug off defenders and then the poise to finish in such uh, really... I mean, it was uh, the coolest of finishes. And so I'm going to make uh, Ryan Sterling this week's hero in the transfer window. Um, We will be... Well deserved, well deserved, especially well, okay. when he scored, scores a winning penalty in the fashion he did. Indeed, wow. indeed, indeed. So it's time to close this particular edition of the Transfer Window podcast. Um, I'd say thank you to Duncan uh, for uh, going solo with me today, as it were. Um, we will be back, I'm sure, in trio uh, later in the week with um, Mr Johnny McFarlane back from his Marine Commander training course. It's currently on. Um, if you want to continue the discussion, then we have our own Twitter account, which is at Transfer Podcast. To continue the debate with um, myself and Duncan, Duncan is at Duncan Castles, and I'm at Garbo SJ. Now, if you like this, and we know that after making the landmark 500,000 download mark, that's 500,000 guys, that's big thanks to you, our listeners, then please give us a, uh, go onto iTunes and give us a five-star review. That makes the podcast more accessible to other people. And um, we shall see you later in the week. Thank you and thanks for listening.